Welcome to the VBAC Link podcast. And we have Francis with us today. And my gosh, I did not sing. I was going to sing a song. Guess who's back, back again? Oh, yes. I was going to sing it. I was going to sing it. I was going to sing it, but I did not sing it. Back too fast. Back again. I love it. Julie's back. And Megan. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it, I sang it. Gosh, the only other time I have sang on the podcast was when I sang myself happy birthday in Korean on my birthday episode. That was, oh, remember, yeah. Remember that? That yeah, was forever ago. That was super fun. Oh my gosh, was, we're back. We're it's back. It's been a while. I, oh my, yes, it has. We, oh we, we have had a lot going on, but it just feels good. It feels really good. It feels a little like, weird and out of sync, but I'm excited to be back. I'm sitting here. I'm so excited to have guests again. I'm excited to be with you. It's going to be great. Wow. There's so much has happened since we aired our last episode. Do you want to just kind of give a couple little things about what you've been up to and I'll do the same and then we'll get into our story. Yeah. Um, my life is always crazy with children. What have I been up to? Gymnastics meets, soccer games, working on children's mental health, COVID impacted um, my kids more than I ever even realized. And so working with kids and their mental health, getting ready to move, <laughs> a sporadic, spontaneous move. Yeah, working with, you know, my husband, just, yeah, letting him work, doing doula stuff for my doula business, hiring new doulas. It's been a lot, but it's been great. Yeah, holy cow. I know all that already, and I'm starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed for you. <laughs> um, kind of the same for me, keeping up with kids. Um, my oldest has had some mental and physical health struggles as well, and so lots of things going on for him and soccer and gymnastics. And my oldest two boys are doing bouldering classes, so learning how That's to climb awesome. big rocks. I know, super fun, super fun for them. And I actually have shifted in my role in the birth work field and I'm a birth photographer now. So still a little bit of dueling, but birth photography mostly. And that's been really fun. I really love it a lot. So it's and you're great. Like- you're so great at it too. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been really fun. Really interesting. But it's also kind of like starting a whole new business while <laughs> kind of restarting everything with the VBAC link. So it's kind of been a lot. We've been up to a lot mm-hmm. behind the scenes. So um, thanks yeah. for everybody for hanging in there with us. Well, we took a little bit of a break to catch up and maintain and restart some things in our busy lives. We appreciate everybody for supporting us while we were kind of hanging out in the background for just a little bit, but we're back. We're back. Yeah. (laughs) All right. As always, we have to start the episode with a review of the week. Thank you so much, everybody for leaving reviews. We love them so much. And Megan is going to share one with us right now. Yes, we have a review from Home Claw 90. And the title is I listen every single day. It says after a traumatic cesarean with my first baby five years ago, and multiple miscarriages in between, this is a breath of fresh air as I await my chance to have a VBAC this October with my second. Love every story I hear on this podcast, and it makes me feel so much stronger in knowing that I can do this. I love I it. I love it too. I love I, it. That was in July of last year. So she definitely has had a baby. So it home claw 90. If you are still listening, email us at info at the vbacklink.com. We would love to know how your birth went. Yeah. Or tag us in your birth story on Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. We can share it. Yeah. yeah. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Frankham and Megan Heaton. VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Oh, all right. Can't wait for this new story. I know. We're really excited. 
We are bringing it back with a classic story about, can you guess, Dremel, please? Big babies. (laughs) I was going to say, be back with a big baby. Be back with a big baby. And we're also going to sprinkle in uh, some talk about maternal mental health and the importance of trauma processing and working through prior births and some cholestasis there for a little bit of variety. (laughs) But before we do that, I want to introduce our guest, Frances. Frances is a married mother of three from Raleigh, North Carolina. She balances motherhood with a full-time job in international business. Wow, really need to hear more about that. Um, She enjoys swimming, CrossFit, outdoor adventuring, and traveling. So Frances, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. And we cannot wait to hear more about your story. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more? Sure. Well, first of all, it's so good to be with you guys. I'm so glad that you're back doing this. It was just such a resource that I used in my pregnancy. And so I'm so glad that there are more episodes for women to listen to and hopefully be inspired by and learn from. And you guys are just amazing. And congratulations on all that you guys have been up to. Um, And Julie, I I think that's awesome that you're doing birth photography. We had a birth photographer at all three of our births and it's just, you know, something that I hold so precious and dear to my heart. So I think it's, it's incredible that you're doing that and giving that back to moms as well. So. Oh, thank you. I I would totally agree with you. It's actually one of my biggest regrets, not having one at my birth. I wish so badly that I had someone there to take more pictures and like video so I could experience from a different perspective too. Yeah. When you're in the thick of it, it's hard. It's hard to even like comprehend what's happening. And like, I wish I could have just seen, I I don't know. I wish I could have seen it from a different angle, but yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I didn't even think about this as part of my birth story when I was thinking about it, but we did have the birth photographer with all three of my births. And as you'll hear, my first two births did not go as planned, but I still have the photographs from that. And it actually really did help in my healing when I, when I kind of had the courage to go through them to look back and see, you know what, like, even though this didn't go as I thought it might, it, there is still a lot of beauty in my birth. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it is for any woman to have that moment captured is special, no matter how the birth turns out, you know? So, yeah, um, I love that. Thank yeah. you. Nice plug in. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. So, so speaking of, so my first, uh, my first pregnancy was in 2012 And prior to getting pregnant, I had been introduced to home birth by my sister who had a really beautiful home birth for herself. And prior to her having a home birth, I honestly didn't really know that that was a thing like that people were doing. I just assumed it was like, you know, everyone just did hospital births and that was just the way it was. And so when I saw her experience and I educated myself on what a home birth was, I decided I really wanted that for myself. So after I got pregnant, I looked into having a home birth. um, But unfortunately, in the state where I'm at, it's not real easy for midwives to operate in a home birth setting. So it wasn't in the cards for me, but I did find a freestanding birth center that was about 30 minutes from my home, staffed by midwives and then backed up by physicians where I could give birth. And I hired a really amazing doula and took a birthing from within class with her. And then I hired the birth photographer and we had everything, you know, lined up and my pregnancy was super easy and very normal up until, you know, I got to about 40 weeks and started stressing out. Like a lot of moms do. I I knew it was normal and natural to go past 40 weeks, but I don't know. I guess I just thought it would never happened to me. I don't know, but I started to get really stressed out and I hit 41 weeks and my provider wanted to do an ultrasound to check the fluid and check in on baby. And they did end up, everything was healthy, but they did end up measuring my baby. And they estimated that my baby was over 12 pounds. And so as you can imagine, I really started to freak out. Um, and my provider was still supportive and supportive of me trying for a natural birth at the birth center if I could go into labor on my own. But, but I do know that it planted some seeds of doubt, both with them and honestly within myself. Um, but I do, I do know that women birth big babies all the time and the ultrasounds can be wrong. So we moved forward 
And I luckily ended up going into labor on my own right before I hit 42 weeks. And I had a long labor, but it was steady. And I was at the birth center and everything was normal, um, kind of until it wasn't. And I didn't know this at the time, but I ended up basically stalling at eight centimeters for a number of hours. And then my labor basically stopped. And so we decided to go to the hospital, which was really devastating to transfer, but I knew it was necessary at that point. So we transferred, we did, I did get an epidural, uh, and some Pitocin to try to pick things back up. But at this point it had been like 36 hours and I was just kind of ready to be over it. There was this question mark of how big my baby was and maybe my baby really wasn't going to fit. So I consented to a cesarean and my baby did end up being really big. So he was a surprise gender. He was a boy and he was 11 pounds, two ounces. So not quite 12, but still really, wow. really big. Yeah. Baby. That's yeah. a big chunky baby. Yeah, exactly. So my cesarean was fine. You know, like physically I was fine. My recovery wasn't bad, but I, I mentally struggled as I know a lot of cesarean moms do. I was just really disappointed in the outcome. You know, I went from really wanting a home birth to then being at the birth center to then transferring to the hospital and then having the cesarean. And it just, I felt like a failure, you know? Um, and I know looking back now that I wasn't, but it felt that way at the time. And I do, I've, I've been a physically active person my whole life. And so I think for the first time ever, like I really felt like my body failed me and that was really hard. Um, and I had a hard time swallowing that. And I also felt guilt. You know, I felt like it was my fault. Like maybe I ate too much pie and I, that's why I had an 11 pound baby, or maybe I should have kept trying at the first center and not gone to the hospital, but either way, you know, it, it worked out the way it did. We were healthy and that of course is the most important thing, but I was really, I did struggle for a while with, with that birth and just processing everything that I went through. So fast forward a couple of years later, my husband and I decided we were ready for another and I had regained some confidence in myself and in my body and decided that I did want to go for a VBAC. And I was able to go back to the birth center midwives for my prior pregnancy, but in my state, you can't do VBAC out of the hospital. So they have admitting privileges in the hospital. So I knew it would meant an automatic hospital birth, which was disappointing because again, like I really didn't want to be in a hospital environment, but I didn't have much of a choice, but I found the midwives really supportive and I was ready to go. And we had the same doula and the same photographer and everything was really great. And then at right about 40 weeks, I got cholestasis, which I know you guys have covered on the podcast before, but it causes insane itching and it can be harmful to the baby. So at that point we decided I really needed to be induced and that was again, really devastated. Like I had hoped to be able to go into labor on my own and labor at home as long as possible before going to the hospital, but having an induction that, that I knew in my heart was really medically necessary. Like I had to be at the hospital. So I am super grateful. Our midwife group, I didn't know a whole lot about VBAC protocol at the time with induction, but what I know now, I know that like they really followed it to a T. So we did a low and slow induction. We did a Foley and very gentle Pitocin. And I was honestly kind of on and off Pitocin for about three days trying to get this baby to come out. And at the end of the third day, I, I think I'd gotten to three centimeters and I got a cervical check and they felt my baby's ear instead of the top of her head. So she was like almost completely sideways. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So that was um, obviously quite unexpected. And so we spent a little bit of time uh, with the doula and uh, the midwife trying to sort of shimmy and shake and get her to move. But after some time, it just like it wasn't happening. I'd already been there over three days. Like we had a toddler that was being shuffled around between family at home. And I just, I knew in my heart at that point, it was time to consent to another cesarean. So that was a super difficult decision, but honestly, I came to it really feeling genuinely supported and like that I had been involved in the decision-making every step of the way. So it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a bad experience. And right about that time, 
the sort of the concept of family-centered cesareans was sort of like coming, coming to like the forefront. And so I was able to have a really gentle cesarean. I did have a clear drape. I think I was one of like the second person at this hospital to have a clear drape and it was fine. Again, I did end up having another really big baby. So she, this was also a surprise gender and it was a girl and she was 10 pounds, 10 ounces. So at that point, like I realized I just grow (laughs) really giant babies and, and again, like processing the cesarean was difficult, but probably not as difficult as the first time, just because I had been so well supported by everybody, you know? So, um, so after that, like life moved on and my husband and I weren't entirely sure that we were done having kids, but pretty sure we were done having kids. And so I just fell into life, you know, work, being a mom, I unfortunately had a couple really difficult personal situations that came about during the couple of years after my daughter was born. The biggest one being my mother was diagnosed with cancer and then passed away. And that was really difficult. Um, oh, yeah, that's heavy, heavy. Yeah, 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 very. So sorry. Thank you. Um, but uh, I just I decided I really needed to take some time to work on myself, you know, so I found an amazing counselor who I went and saw like very frequent, very frequently, you know, and we just spent a lot of time just processing everything. So, and some of that of course was my birth and processing the trauma of my birth and just those feelings of failure and disappointment and guilt. And then we just spent a lot of time processing everything else, you know, that, that life throws at you. And through all of that, one of the things and probably the most important thing that I learned was that I have really good instincts. And I think that honestly, most of us do, especially mothers, like we have really good instincts, but it takes some time and some practice and some patience to learn how to trust them and how to follow them. And going through all of the counseling, like really helped teach me how to lean in to my intuition and how to trust my gut. And that was an experience that just obviously helps me in like every area of life. That's such a valuable thing to learn. Like it's a hard way to learn it, but it's so such a good skill to have and a good thing that that came out of that. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I was in a really good place and then, you know, 2020 happened, right. And the pandemic. And then in July, 2020, I found myself surprised pregnant. (laughs) So obviously my husband and I had not closed the door on having children, but we weren't really planning on it. So when I found out I was pregnant, it was uh, a bit of a shock. And honestly, it took us a little bit of time to really like get excited about it. You know, it was just, it was such a surprise that we weren't really sure how to feel about it, but eventually, you know, we did come to be very surprised, but, and to be honest, I didn't know right away whether I wanted to try for a VBAC again. And honestly, I didn't know whether it was an option for me, like whether the hospital would allow me to, or whether my personal circumstances were right for a VBAC. So I started doing a little bit of research and then seeking out some opinions and taking into consideration my personal circumstances, you know, and I do have like, like I've mentioned, I have I have a history of big babies. I had coleostasis in my last pregnancy. I had this, you know, quote, failed VBAC. And I was almost 40 years old and was just like, I don't know, is this a good idea for me to try for a VBAC? And what happens if I fail again? Like, what does that mean? So I really spent some time thinking about it. And I did briefly check out a different healthcare provider just to see if maybe a change in my provider would be helpful. And also this one was a bit closer to my house. And I'll never forget at that first appointment, you know, I was just trying to feel out like what my options would be. And they said to me verbatim, no doctor at this hospital will ever support you in a VBAC. And I just remember thinking like, I didn't know a lot at that time about a VBAC after two cesareans, but I knew that that didn't feel right. That like, yeah, that like, wait, like I don't have a decision in what happens to my body, you know, like. That I knew that didn't feel right. And so I decided I was like, okay, not going to stay with this practice. Like, let me do more research and let me seek out additional opinions. 
So I ended up going back to the midwives uh, with the birth center that I've been with before for my prior two pregnancies. And again, like they only do VBAC in the hospital, but I inquired with them whether they would take me on and they said, yes. So they did share some of the same concerns as me, but ultimately they did support me in, you know, being a part of the process and making a decision of what happens with me and my baby. So at that point, that's when I found you guys, right? So I started- that's really how it should be, by the way. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I, when you said that, it reminded me of my conversation with my old doctor. He, he said, like, I went to get my medical records and he said, good luck. No one's going to want you out there. And it was yeah. like, okay. And like, it wasn't like even, hey, let's talk about it. Or let me tell you why I don't feel comfortable with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and well, anyways, yeah, it. I just, I felt like that it just was like, someone shouldn't be making that choice for me. Like if I choose not to have, not to try for VBAC, like that's my choice, but for someone else to just say like, no, you must have major surgery. Like it just didn't feel right. And it didn't sit well with me. So, so, but luckily like I, I was able to go back to my previous provider and find support. And I know a lot of women don't find that. So I was really lucky in that regard. And at that point, that's when I really, really started diving deep into the VBAC research. And that's when I found you guys, right? And I started, I looked at, you know, all of the research you put out. I started listening to your podcast and all of the other stories. And it really gave me strength and confidence. And one of, I think, perhaps the most important things that is in listening to other women's stories, it opened my eyes to this possibility of like sort of this perfect, in quotes, birth that I had in my head before. Like it didn't have to be like that. So I could accept a hospital birth or I could accept, accept interventions and that could still be a beautiful birth. Like it doesn't have to be this, like, I don't know what you see in a movie or, um, you know, just like, like that perfect serene birth. Like I realized, and I accepted that I could open up my mind and that things might turn out not precisely like I hope they do, but that can still be okay. You know? Yes. I love that. So, um, so I really shifted my mindset and in this pregnancy, I just, I didn't worry about all the things that sometimes people do. And I really just focused on taking care of my mind and taking care of my body. So I did do chiropractic care. And I also did, um, I don't know if you guys have heard the, of the Arvigo abdominal massage. I did that. I also no, did- what is, oh. what is that? Yeah. So it's really interesting. So it's like a Mayan technique and it's, um, an abdominal massage and it's really, it's actually really great after a cesarean. So it really helps with like scar tissue. Um, but even during pregnancy, it just, I actually don't know all of the benefits of it other than for one, it feels really great. (laughs) And it does just help with, I think it can help with like, you know, what are the, like the round ligaments and stuff and just helps the positioning of your baby. And I don't know, I I found it really relaxing and comforting. So I did do that. And I also did go to an acupuncturist and overall just stayed active and well, but I did like all of those things, not for some arbitrary reason, but because it made me feel good. So I really just focused on that. So with this like different approach to this pregnancy and like accepting that things might turn out kind of differently than what I had initially hoped, I shared, you know, all of this with my provider. And I think that was super helpful because I think that they realized that I was in this mental space where I knew I could trust myself and I could trust my instincts and and make the right decisions. And so in turn, like they really trusted me. So it really helped in that and having support from them. So one of the things though, that that did bring up some concern was I did do a maternal fetal medicine consult about halfway through just to talk about my prior cesareans and go over my operative history. And one thing that came up that was a bit unexpected was in my second cesarean, the surgeon had noted that I had really dense adhesions from my first cesarean. And so he kind of put almost like a a note in there to say like a note to future surgeons you might experience a prolonged surgery because of all of this dense scar tissue that was in there. Well, and I actually wonder if the dense scar tissue like extended, because you said you made it to eight and you stalled and then made it to three. And like, cause we just had a client that same thing, like she only made it to three and a half and she was like, her body was like active labor. Yeah. Her cervix just wasn't going and she had super dense adhesions. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, and I don't really know, you know, obviously all the ways that it can affect you, but I'm sure it's not like, it's not natural to have all that scar tissue in your abdomen, right? It's there because you've had this major surgery. So, so the one thing that though, that they did mention and why it concerned them is they said that if I attempted a VBAC and ended up in an emergent situation, it might not turn out well for me because they wouldn't be able to like get through all that scar tissue super quickly, either to like save my baby or me. Right. So that was a little bit scary to hear, but my first thought was like, well, if I've got all this scar tissue and it's going to be super hard to open me up, like, don't you guys just not want to have to open me up? Like, wouldn't the best case scenario to just not have another surgery? Right. You know? Avoid that completely. Yeah. <laughs> right. And add more scar tissue. Or like, I know when you have these adhesions, they can like accidentally cut into your bladder or things like that. So I was like, well, isn't a best case scenario just to not have surgery? And they were like, oh, hmm, yeah, I guess so. So it was kind of funny, almost like they hadn't really thought of that option, but what they wanted, it was, they wanted me to schedule a repeat cesarean, like before I went into labor so they could kind of do it on their own time. So they wouldn't have to rush, which like on the one hand, I understand, but the other hand, I was like, well, let's just try to not cut me open at all. Right. So, but the other thing too, was like, with that was like, I had, I, again, like I really trusted myself to be able to make the right decision. And I trusted that if I were to attempt a VBAC and get to the point where a cesarean was necessary, that I was capable of making the decision to head to the OR before it was an emergency. And I had done that twice before, you know, and the other thing too, was like, I had done the research and I know you guys have talked about this before, like how rare uterine rupture really is. And that's kind of like the big deal with VBACs. Right. And also not only that, but how, how rare it is, but then when there is rupture, how few of them are like really catastrophic, you know? So it seemed like a little bit silly to go in for a cesarean just because there was like a, I don't know, one in 1000 chance that I might have a catastrophic rupture, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, so ultimately, you know, I respectfully appreciated their professional opinion, but decided I still wanted to go for a VBAC. So anyways, um, I, um, went again. So basically my, the rest of my pregnancy proceeded as normal. As far as I know, I did not get the coleostasis again. So I did take some herbals that maybe played a role, but I didn't get itchy. So I was super happy about that. Although I was in my head in it a lot about, you know, trying to like, like, if you think about being itchy, like you could find an itch on your body right now, you know? So it was hard not to be paranoid about it, but ultimately I, avoided getting it, which was great. So I didn't have to be induced because I was worried about that. And so my pregnancy continued to progress. And I did again, go past 40 weeks. I, you know, there were times where I was mentally struggling, but my husband and my doula photographer were super uh, supportive. And so I was able to lean it, you know, in on them for support. I did start having a little bit of prodromal labor, like about 40 weeks. And that was really exhausting but it was reassuring, you know, that something was happening. So I was taking the wins, you know, where I could find them. So as I approached 41 weeks, we, you know, I started to feel a little bit of pressure about how late I was going to go again. I did agree and scheduled an ultrasound to check on like the fluid and check on the baby, but I made it very clear that I would not consent to the measuring my baby because I just thought, what good does it do to talk about the size of my baby at this point? Like, I know I grow big babies. It's got to come out one way or the other. So like, yes. let's just not even talk about it, you know? Absolutely. Um, and there were a couple of the midwives that would kind of make comments about it that rubbed me the wrong way, but I did my best to just like brush it off, you know, because again, like this baby's coming out, like, so what good does it to really think and think too much about how big it's going to be? So as luck would have it though, I, I didn't even get to that, uh, ultrasound. So I didn't have to put my foot down, but I was prepared to, to, to not have them measure my baby. So I ended up going into labor on my own. It was about 41 weeks and I happened to have a appointment with my favorite mid midwife. And she just put me into this really peaceful place. And sure enough, that night I went into labor 
And so it started overnight and was kind of slow. And my husband was in the other room. So I was just up by myself for a bit. And about 5.30 in the morning, I realized I was struggling to cope on my own. So I woke him up and he came in the room with me. And about an hour later, he ended up calling our doula. And actually this time we were only allowed one support person in the hospital other than my husband. So our photographer who'd been with us before was double dutying as my doula, nice. my doula. Um, That's called a doula tog, doula photographer. Yeah. I do that sometimes. Yeah. And she's been with us in all of our births and she's had birth experiences of her own that she can really relate to. So she was really great filling both roles. And so she came over because my husband, and we laugh about this now, but he was like, you were making noises that I was really scared of. So, so he called her over to help me and my labor did slow down a bit. Like when things kind of picked up. So like some people came over to pick up my other children and, and I think that's pretty normal, but then once everyone left and my birth space went, was undisturbed, my labor really picked up really quickly. And so I was contracting, you know, about like every three to four minutes, I think a solid minute contraction. And after a little bit, I started throwing up and in the late, my labor with my son, I started throwing up when I was pretty far along. So I was like, Oh my gosh, like maybe this is really happening quickly. Like we should go to the hospital. So we headed over to the hospital, which was about 30 minutes and not really a fun drive, but we made it and we got checked in and I knew I wanted to labor in the tub for a little bit. So they just have like hospital, like small tubs, but I was allowed to get in it. They have like the wireless monitors. So, but I wanted to get checked just to kind of know where I was starting from. And I was only a two and I was like, so defeated. And that is so discouraging. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, I know. And there's part of me that, you know, kind of regrets finding out, but you know, it is what it is. Right. But I kind of knew at that point, I was like, okay, let me just, I'm going to switch my mindset. Like I already saw drugs in my future, which I had decided I was totally okay with, but I wanted to see how much farther I could get. So I got in the tub, but like it really slowed down my labor. So my doula made me get out. And I think I fussed and complained (laughs) at her and got out and I tried nitrous, but it did nothing for me. I'm honestly not even sure if the thing was actually working, but I decided at that point, I was like, you know what, just give me the epidural. The other thing too is maybe this is coming from a little bit of an athletic background. Like I was really having trouble holding tension, like in my pelvic floor and in my bum, like I just couldn't release. And so I knew that the epidural would help with that. And that's one of the things that I had learned on this podcast and listening to other women's stories is that, you know, sometimes you can use these interventions to your advantage and like getting an epidural doesn't mean that that's like the end of it for you, you know, like you can use it as a tool in your toolkit. So absolutely. It's available if you need it. Exactly. And I knew at that point I, I did need it. So I got the epidural. I was only three centimeters and that really scared me because I really wanted to be farther along, but I did it anyway. And I labored for a bit and then I got checked again. And I was, this was like, I probably had been at the hospital about like 12 hours at this point. I'm still only three centimeters. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, like, why am I doing this? And the midwife that I happened that happened to be on call was like such a saint. And I look back and I'm like, I couldn't have landed with a better midwife for me. And she looked me in the eyes. She said, I will not recommend anything that'll put you and your baby in harm's way, but I'll do everything in my power to help you achieve a vaginal birth. And it was just so reassuring, you know, to really know that she had my back. So we did start Pitocin at that point, which I know can be a little bit controversial in a VBAC or a VBAC after more than one cesarean, but we did a really slow Pitocin and I could tell it was working. Like I did have an epidural, but I could feel it working. And Um, I continued to labor throughout the night into the early morning, tried to catch some rest, but there were definitely times I was looking around and like my husband was trying to sleep on the floor and our doula photographer was there with us this whole time. And I was like, gosh, like I felt almost guilty. Like I was putting them through the ringer with me, you know, and I just kept having these feelings of like, well, if I end up in another cesarean, like I'm doing all this for nothing, you know, but I tried to quiet those doubts as much as I could. And at one point in the middle of the night, I felt a pop and a gush of fluid. And I called the nurse and I was like, Hey, either I just peed myself or my water broke. And so she came in and confirmed it was my water. So that was exciting. I was like, okay, something's happening. Right. 
And then um, as I was laying there trying to catch some rest, I could feel that I was having like some pressure in like my bum and my sacrum, but I didn't want to get too excited. So I kind of kept it to myself. And then um, it was probably about like three o'clock in the morning. My midwife had been tending to a couple other women and she was going to try to catch some rest. So she was like, well, let me just check you really quick. And when she was doing it, I kind of knew that was like the do or die moment for me. Like if I hadn't progressed anymore at that point, like I kind of felt like that was going to be it. So I was really, really nervous. So she, so she went to check me, she didn't say a word and she had this poker face. And so she checked me, she went to the sink and washed up and my heart is like pounding, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like, and so she walks over to my bedside. And she looks at me and she said, Francis, you're more dilated than you've ever been in your life. And <gasps> I just, yeah, I just like let out the scream and like everybody in the room was cheering. Like, I think the nurse may have even shed a tear. And so it was just this moment of like, that was the first moment where I was like, oh my God, like this might actually happen, you know? So I did labor down a little bit longer. And at one point the nurse rushed in and she had me change positions and then got me on my hands and knees. And I knew that she wasn't saying anything, but I knew that that meant they were like having some sort of concern about the baby. And I tried not to panic, but I was really scared. But so the midwife got called in and she gave me another check and she was like, you know, she's like, you're at six centimeters or sorry, 10 centimeters. Let's just get this baby out. So I was like, let's do it. Let's do it. I yeah. love it. <laughs> so my doula, she was like, Hey, do you want the squat bar? I was like, yes, give me the squat bar. And it's just like kind of coming from an athletic background. It was just, I was so excited to feel like useful. I was like, all right, like, let's go, you know? So I had never pushed before. So I didn't know what that was like. So I was being coached but I was using the squat bar, like basically squatting on the bed, like using the bar. And apparently according to the midwife was like really doing a good job. And so after about 45 minutes, like my baby was like right there. And so she was like, well, come down, like touch, you know, touch your baby's head. And so I touched his head and then she had me lean back a little bit. And we did like some of those slow, like, I guess like kind of panty pushes to do it pretty slowly. And so I felt my baby's head come out and then she had me push again for the shoulders. And I could tell when I did that, that she had a little bit of trouble, but he ended up coming out really without a problem. And then I really wanted to catch my baby. So my husband was a amazing support through all of it, but he had zero interest in being part of that process. And so I was like, well, I want to catch my baby then. So my midwife was like, well, reach down and catch your baby. So I reached down and she helped me and I brought him up to my chest and, you know, it, it he was beautiful and perfect. And it was that moment that I know we all dream about. And, um, our photographer caught that moment and I've shared it on your Facebook page before. It's a little bit graphic, not too much. So, but it was just, you can see it in my face, you know, I was just in heaven. And so my baby was on my chest for all of the nurse checks and everything. And I remember when he was laying there, I was like, Oh, I think he's my smallest baby. Like he's so small. And then <laughs> finally they came and took him to do like the way and the measurements. And he ended up being 10 pounds, 12 ounces and 22 and a half inches. And wow, so he, he was not my biggest baby, but my second biggest. And I just couldn't believe it. You know, like, oh my gosh, like I pushed that baby out of my body, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I did have some tearing. It was a third degree tear. And my midwife said it was from his shoulders. She did say he didn't have dystocia, but like she had to give some traction, I think is what she said. So, but I was repaired like right there in labor and delivery. And honestly, I couldn't care because like I had my baby with me and it was, I was just, you know, in euphoria. So, you know, the recovery was not a walk in the park, but so much better than my cesarean. And, you know, I avoided major abdominal surgery. So, so one of the things like in my birth plan, I had like this long birth plan, but at the very beginning, I said that I had birth goals and these were my goals. And this is where I'll get emotional. Sorry. Aww. I said, I wish 
for a healthy mother and baby, both physically and emotionally, for my intuition to guide me and to be trusted by those around me, for labor to begin and continue as hands-off as possible, and to feel heard, empowered, and respected. And at the end of the day, I, you know, checked my birth, checked all of those boxes, you know, and I couldn't have asked for more. And I have no doubt that your podcast played a huge role in my success. And, you know, if me sharing my story can help just one other woman achieve her own birth goals, then I'm just overjoyed. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my story. Wow. I like have tears in my eyes right now. Oh, you guys like, are so sweet. I just felt that like, and when you were talking about like, when you reached down and grabbed your baby, it was like, I was like flashing back to my, my son's birth. And I just remember that feeling. And I was like feeling it for you. Like, it's such an incredible feeling to reach down there and fill this baby's head and pull him out and like have that support and what your midwife said to you. Like, I'm so happy for you and so proud of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and like I said, I, I really truly feel like I could not have done it without you guys. I, and I really mean that. I didn't know you've heard that before, but it's the truth. <laughs> well, I don't think, I think I can safely speak for Megan when I say we probably won't ever get tired of hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> we love I it. don't think we will. Yeah. Cause this is what we're here for. This is what we want to do. We want to help. We want to empower. We want to inspire. We want to guide. We want to educate. We want to create that community where it's not even just us, right? Like it's you guys having others and feeling that support all around the world you have people rooting for you and you don't even know where they're at you know that's that's what we want that's what we want we want our mission here to to be better and make birth after cesarean better and sometimes that means a repeat cesarean and that's okay and like listen how healing it can be yeah so I love it I love hearing and especially coming back from the first podcast after taking so much time like it's it's so refreshing to hear like hey like this is still what people love and this is what people want. They want to hear these stories. They want to feel these stories and emotion that I just felt with you sharing your story. I mean, I'm not even pregnant or having any more kids and I'm feeling it. And I'm just imagining, you know, being in that room with you guys and cheering as you for, you know, the furthest dilated you've ever been. Like that's such a huge moment and oh, just so many fun things. This is, I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> Yeah, I I love it. I think it's so incredible. I just think back, I know Megan, maybe you're doing the same thing, just all the births I've attended as a doula. And now I get to do that as a birth photographer of parents who have had these babies over 10 pounds. And I feel like sometimes maybe the big ones come out a little bit easier just because the just because they have gravity working on their side, right? Gravity gets to pull, pull on them a little bit easier. I'm True. on call right now for a three-peat doula client. Um, it's my third time being her doula and the babies that I was with for her, her last two, um, one was over nine pounds and one was over 10 and she's not, uh, it's not a V-back birth, but her, her baby, she, and she's five, one, by the way, she's five, one and very petite. And she births these ginormous sumo wrestler babies. And it's just so fun to watch her labor and birth because she just doesn't hold still. She's constantly moving. And, you know, there's just a lot to say about giving, giving the birthing person time and freedom and space and ability to let their body do what it needs to do instead of jumping to conclusions about the baby's size and the ability of whether it will or will not work. And I think that that's really cool that your midwife supported you in that way. And it's really just neat when you hear about providers wanting the type of birth you want just as much as you do. And it really kind of felt like that's what, what happened here for you. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And it's kind of funny because when I was seeking out, you know, opinions about whether I should go for a VBAC or not. And then of course, just like gut checking myself, like, Honestly, the fact that I grow really big babies was almost not even brought up. It was all the other things that were mm -hmm. more, more concerning, like the scar tissue or my age or, 
potentially having cholestasis and maybe having to get induced or just go for a repeat cesarean. So it was interesting to me, like one of the things I think I was most fearful of in when I was thinking about having a VBAC was whether my baby would be too big, but my provider like almost didn't even care, you know, and that that surprised me a bit. I love it. I love it a lot. Um, All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up, but before we do, um, we have a blog all about big babies and how you can have the best chances of giving that big baby out vaginally. Um, We're going to link it right for you in the show notes, but I'm going to go over five tips, the five tips for you right now. The first one is knowing the facts about macrosomia, which just means big baby. Uh, Macrosomia, it's really interesting because different organizations define what makes a baby big differently. And so some places define it as a baby that's larger than eight pounds, 13 ounces. And some places define it as bigger than nine pounds and four ounces. So, I mean, your babies check both of those boxes. So, (laughs) so that's okay. So either way, eight pounds, 13 ounces or nine pounds, four ounces. So sometimes there's a little bit of flexibility about what really makes a baby big. And also know that estimated fetal weight, like the only way to know the actual size of a baby is birthing the baby and getting the measurements after it's born. Ultrasound scans are notoriously inaccurate about measuring gestational age. They are gestational weight. <laughs> they can be off by a pound or two difference. Um, like yours, your baby was your first was still really big, but about a pound different than what they had measured it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, the second thing you can do to help get a big baby out is hire a doula studies show that having a doula improves just about every single aspect of your birth and delivering a large baby is no exception about that. A skilled doula will help you communicate your needs um, and your perceptions to help realize your dream of having a healthy, positive birth experience. And there's actually a lot of statistics that prove uh, how doula helps birth how doulas help birth outcomes, they actually reduce your chances of having a C-section by 39%, which is really cool for my data junkie brain. Um, The third thing you can do is move as much as possible, even with an epidural, moving, switching sides, even just moving your legs a little bit every few contractions is going to help keep your pelvis being flexible and helping create that space for your baby to move down. We say in the our blog, ditch the epidural, but you don't actually have to have an unmedicated birth in order to birth or to have a VBAC or have any vaginal delivery, but go as long as you can without getting it. But it's okay if that's, if that's a lower number than you want. As we talked about a little bit earlier, an epidural is a great tool to have in your toolbox if you need it. But knowing how to use an epidural and how to move and a doula is a great way to help you utilize this tool properly. As long as you're not lying down and staying still in one spot for too long, that's the biggest thing you need to take away from that. And the fifth one, we say, believe in your body. And I know I'm probably going to get a lot of eye rolls with this. Believe in your body. You can't always like manifest your baby out. Yes, that is very true. Sometimes things happen and um, interventions are needed and cesareans are life-saving. We definitely believe that and we've seen it, but there's a lot to be said in believing in yourself and believing in your baby and your body that knows what it knows that it can do this and that it's designed for the birth process and having that confidence going into it and having the confidence in yourself and your birth team and your support environment. And if you don't have that confidence, do whatever you need to do or change whatever you need to change in order to create that confidence and that belief in your environment, because where doubt exists, that brings in the uncertainty that can shift your entire birth experience. So I'm going to end that with a period and an exclamation point. And, and Megan, what would you add? And I'm talking for a few minutes. <laughs> no, you're just fine. I mean, I feel like we, we have talked about like the, the intuition and mama's get the whole time, but um, I love that during pregnancy and everything, you were able to kind of hone in on that and not only learn like what intuition necessarily is, but like how to really tune into it. Because that I think 
especially for birth, like, and especially for VBAC, I, I want to say it's for anyone and it really is, but like with VBAC, there's so much coming at us with all the things. And like, for instance, when you went to that different provider and they were like, yeah, I know, like not one person in this hospital is going to touch you. Like, no. And like a lot of people would be like, oh, okay. Like that, if there's that many doctors that won't even see me, like, I better just have a C-section, which is totally fine. Like if that's what their intuition and that's how they feel. But a lot of like, a lot of the times I feel like it's hard to tune into that intuition and be like, well, wait, I feel like I should probably still go get some other opinions, right. Versus like, just be told what I should do. And I think that if we can in life in general, just learn into, to tune into that intuition and really how to follow it. I think it's going to help us with so many things in life in general. And that's something like, that's one of the highlights of your story that I got because I had to personally also work through a lot of that during pregnancy because I was told that I would rupture if I be back. Like, and I didn't realize how much that impacted me, but it impacted me. But my intuition was telling me otherwise. Right. Anyway, I just, that was like one of the biggest things, my takeaway, one of the biggest takeaways from your story is learning how to hone in on that intuition, following it and trusting it, trusting your gut. Yeah, precisely. Hit it on the nose. <laughs> All right. I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I just, I love it. I love everything about your story. So thank you so much for kicking us off with such a great empowering story. Yes. It was the perfect story for our welcome back. Francis, it was such a joy to have you on and share your story today. But before we leave, we want to ask you, I think I might know what the answer is, but I'm going to ask anyways, what is your best tip for somebody preparing for birth after cesarean? Um, well, first I thought you were going to ask me whether I was going to have more children and I was like, hard no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> that door, that door has been closed. Um, yeah, I mean, no, I think it is. It's what, um, I think Megan, what you just talked about is, learning to taking the time to focus on yourself and your mental health. I mean, I think ideally before you get pregnant, but there's no, there's, you can obviously do that while you're, if you're already pregnant, you know, but taking the time to really focus on your mental health and learn how to trust yourself because we all have good instincts. We just have to know where to find them sometimes. Ooh, I love that. We all have good instincts. We have to know where to find them. Sometimes I'm going to make a social media post about that. Just one second while I write it down. (laughs) You guys are too sweet. I appreciate it. Maybe it'll go on a shirt. I don't know. I need to start making shirts again. <laughs> I don't know. Do I, no. do I need to trademark that real quick? Yes. Yeah, she uh, yeah, she's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. Trade, trademark that for sure. <laughs> um, that I will credit you. Yeah. What's your social media? Should I tag you? <laughs> not, not, not necessary. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, speaking of shirts, we do have a bunch of feedback shirts available for you to purchase. If you want to rock them and represent and support the podcast, you can find them at the feedbacklink.com slash bonfire, like B-O-N-F-I-R-E. If you want to head over there and rock some swag from the VBAC shop. So, um, Francis, you're amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And um, everybody else, good luck on your journey. And we are so excited to be back along for the ride with you. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the VBAClink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.